welcome to another edition of the Minnesota Beer Cast, your premier podcast slash radio show for all things beer and Minnesota. And or Minnesota beer. And cheese and cigars and yeah. we haven't we're done, done that in a cigar while, show. Though. Yeah. Yeah, we need to we need to bring the cigars back. I am Drew. That's my buddy and co-host Schmitty, and hey, we hey. are recording this week's episode at the Rival House. On location. On location. The Rival House Sporting Parlor. Yeah, man. In St. Paul. If you've never been to Rival House, uh, it's an experience. You should definitely come here. There's all kinds of games set up. They've got um, they've got darts. They've got board games. It really is a sporting parlor. It's a lot of fun. We were we did a beer a couple of beer dinners here. Yeah, uh, we've done the show here a couple times. I know uh, my morning show on uh, Twin Cities News Talk. We've done some events at this location as well. I'm a big fan. Yeah, and I, and I love I love that it's not in Minneapolis. No offense to Minneapolis, but you know St. Paul tends to be treated like the the ugly neighbor sometimes. Well, it is a neighbor, <laughs> and it is ugly. Thanks. <laughs> I resemble. I'm that. just kidding. I love St. Paul. No, it's it's just nice that you know there's there's good beer, there's good food, and there's good fun to be had in St. Paul too. Well, Rival House is another one of the restaurants that really seems to put a uh, a premium on having a very good, well curated beer selection. Well, the the beer and the food is is excellent. I don't think that we want to sell the the food short. I mean, no, not at all. The the food that's provided here is is phenomenal. You know, the, I'm enjoying the uh, spinach artichoke dip, and it's top five. I've been enjoying your spinach artichoke I, dip too when I you're can, not looking. I consider myself a bit of a uh, an artichoke dip connoisseur. <laughs> Aficionado, I, uh, I'm one of the founding members of uh, Artichoke Dip uh, Advocate.com, and <laughs> uh, you know it's. it's Can you act- get Artichoke Dip on Sundays? Well, that's the next thing I'm fighting for. Because <laughs> if you that's can't, the next battle. To if be you fought. can't, let's change that now. Uh, and you want to do a quick plug for your other podcast, the Minnesota Artichoke Cast? Uh, you know, we'll save it to the end. Okay. All right. <laughs> but speaking of St. Paul, we uh, we've got some friends that are going to join us today. We've got uh, Jeff from Tin Whiskers is going to join us talk about their new series. Uh, friend of the show, Dan Parker, is going to chime in as well. Uh, we actually just kind of jumped on his event uh he's here at rival house doing a sampling for uh blake's hard cider and we're like hey we we like cider <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna come to rival house and do a show he's like oh okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah you jumped on that quick when i suggested it and then i realized oh because it's like right by his house <laughs> and i like cider and i like I mean, food and you know it all felt it all fell together really quickly for me exactly <laughs> well let's let's get right into it let's uh let's jump on with with jeff from tin whiskers they've got some fun and exciting stuff happening there how you doing man good how are you guys thanks for having me on yeah absolutely it's been a while What's uh, what's new at Tin Whiskers? Uh, we've been busy uh, whipping up all kinds of new beers and recipes in the tap room, and um, we're finally ready to start releasing those into the package market here in the in retail space. Um, today, actually, we can the first of our new series of beer called the Spark Series. It's our limited edition um, latest tap room beers we've made, and we're putting in a 16-ounce four-pack cans. Um, super excited. The first one comes out today. It's called the Volt. It's an elderflower rhubarb wheat ale. That's a, that's a mouthful. It, yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, the beer was originally came out of a brew-off we did against Urban Growler back in the spring. And okay. 
the elderflower gives it kind of like a little bit of a dill note, and then uh, it's packed full of uh, a rhubarb, um, so it's got a really nice tart finish to it and a little tart aroma and flavor, too. Um, and let me tell you, brewing a, a rhubarb beer, you know, in, in November is not a good thing. <laughs> There's I, not an abundance of rhubarb in I, November? I bought out four Cub Foods in a Lund's grocery store in the Roseville area of all the rhubarb, so. <laughs> <laughs> when people buy rhubarb? Like frozen rhubarb? Oh, frozen like yeah. I suppose for pies or something, huh? Yeah, I guess. I mean, because have you ever tried if you have rhubarb growing at your house and you're tired of that plant, it's literally impossible to get rid of. Oh yeah, it, I have a rhubarb plant at home, and it gets kind of prehistorically large if you don't tend to it. <laughs> yeah, and and if you decide you want a lilac bush there or something else and try to tear that plant out, uh, those those roots go deep into the earth. They're they're nigh impossible to get rid of. So the, the rhubarb is, it astounds me that it's kind of like buying dandelions. Most people just try to get rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, we're really excited about the, the new series of beers. Uh, the next up after this, the Volt, is the ACOC. It's a New England Mango IPA, aged with mango puree. What was it? Called the ACOC. What it, now, that's got to be some sort of electronic or, or mechanical engineering term. What is? It's a play on ACDC. It's a beer we designed for Old Chicago back in September. So it's kind of a play on, on you don't that. Wanna, you you want to name it ACDC but don't want to deal with the lawsuit? Is that what you're saying? No, no, no. I mean, like, <laughs> Old Chicago is Chicago. Well, in 1910, uh, Chicago had the World's Exposition or World's Fair. And uh-huh. that's when the major battle between... Uh, AC and DC power really took place between Tesla and Westinghouse. Edison versus Tesla. So are you an Edison guy or a Tesla guy? Well, obviously, I'm a Westinghouse Tesla guy because that's what wins. (laughs) (laughs) But but my engineering background, I'm very much the DC guy. I like my DC a lot better. Nice. (laughs) You know, for design work. But... what kind of, I guess, planning goes into doing a, a series like this? Is this your first cans that you guys have done? Because you've done, I know no. bottles I've seen, right? Yeah, we've, we've been in 16-ounce four-pack cans of our three flagships and our, our seasonals now for over two years. Okay. So this is kind of bringing like a very limited run of that to the market because the consumers are demanding new stuff all the time. And so this is the way we can facilitate that desire and need for new with the new innovation that we've been doing in the tap room and kind of get our name out there and, and reinvigorate the brand. So is that, do you think, hurt you or help you as a brewery with a tap room? Does it take away some of the, the cachet and some of the exclusivity of the tap room only beers? Or do you think it just expands uh, on what you guys do in the tap room? It expands it. It keeps then driving us to keep making new stuff too. And if things are really popular in a tap room, there's no reason to not you know, put it out into the market, get people excited about it. And when the cans are gone, we usually still have it on draft in the tap room. So come, come grab it, you know? Yeah. If nothing else, it drives people into the tap room, right? Because you get, you get that beer into people's hands who may not be coming into the tap room. Say, Hey, this is a tap room only beer after this is all gone. Right. Yep. It's kind of, kind of the deal. And I mean, this is something that we kind of ran into, you know, come June, we were at like at capacity, couldn't make enough of our flagships, June hit, and then we entered July, and then, like, it completely flipped, you know, with all the new entrants in the market, all the new breweries, new beers, like, the, the our most flagships, even not even ours, but everyone's, has kind of taken a hit to that newness thing that people are craving, so. Yeah, I mean, the, the market's getting more and more crowded, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, is that is that one of the biggest challenges as a, as a brewery in St. Paul, that dealing with that, that crowded marketplace, there's always being something new, a new brewery people want to try? 
I mean, yeah, I mean, if you're distributing at all, you always got to be something relevant, and it's it's exhausting, to be honest, because <laughs> you're like, all right, we've got to make something new. Okay, what is it going to be? And, you know, we're not just someone to just throw, like, a beer together, throw a big batch, and, oh, yeah, it is what it is. You know, we, we brew at least four versions of a beer before it even makes it in a big batch for just the taproom. And once it gets there, if it does well, then we decide if we're going to put it into a can or not. But, I mean, it's just logistics of, like, okay, always something new. And then how am I getting that material and, you know, all this kind of jazz. So so what, what made you guys decide to do this beer as your, your first, your premiere uh, of the, the Volt series versus, like, the one you guys have coming out second? It's just a matter of, of popularity or what was easiest to, to put into your schedule. What made you guys decide to go with this rhubarb? It's kind of the easiest to put in the schedule. It fit better with, like, you know, it's not dead of winter, so it fits a little bit better that way. And then it was just kind of like when we had just done a, a big batch in the tap room, it was going well. We needed to do something different for December as quick as possible, and this was, like, the easiest thing to, to get, get going. Very nice. So are you guys canning this yourselves, or is this, like, the mobile canning line that folks know around town? Uh, it's, it's the mobile canning line through Loggersmith. He was just actually in today oh, is he? doing it. So, How big a, a value is there in being able to save that space? Well, actually, why don't you wait? We'll, uh, we'll take a break. We'll yep. tease that question. We'll come back with uh, more from Tin Whiskers, their new Spark series. Find out more about what they've got going on, what they've got coming up. From the uh, Rival House in St. Paul, this is the Minnesota Beer Cast. Welcome back to the Minnesota Beer Cast from Rival House in St. Paul. We're here courtesy of our friend Dan Parker, friend of the show, uh, for a, a Blake's Hard Cider tasting event that he's working on. We'll have him on in a little bit to tell us about Blake's Hard Cider, what it is, and kind of a new entry to the Minnesota marketplace. Yeah, it's, uh, of course, Dan, friend of the show, uh, spent a lot of time at, at Capital Beverage for, I don't know, a few years. Um, so he's he's now got a new home, so we'll talk to him in a few minutes. But we're talking with Jeff from Tin Whiskers right now. Um, you know, we talked earlier about how excited I am to do the show in St. Paul for once. Um, what does it mean for you guys as a brewery to be here in St. Paul versus big-time Minneapolis? <laughs> uh, I mean, I wear it with a badge of pride. Um, I love being in St. Paul. I love having the brewery on the east side. I think it east side deserves, you know, good breweries just as much as the west side. So um, we love being over here and and love being the underdog, I guess. <laughs> Not only we nerds, you know, nerd nerd brewery, but we're also the underdog neighborhood. <laughs> Is there a degree of competitiveness in the St. Paul? Because St. Paul has an amazing beer scene all of its own. I mean, there's a ton of great breweries. It's a lot of great stuff being made, just like in Minneapolis. I'm a suburb guy, so I've never really looked at it as some sort of competitive thing between St. Paul and Minneapolis, but do you get the sense that there is some, you know, just a, a competitiveness of, of pride? Like, you know, we're, we're, making, we're making better beer over here in St. Paul than you guys are, or vice versa. Do you get that, or is it still pretty cooperative? You mean between the two, like, brewery cities? Yeah, right. Yeah. Between Minneapolis and I mean, I, it's it's competitive. You know, like, any, like, child that's had siblings and, like, when one sibling's <laughs> favored over the other, you get a little, you know, competitive, maybe. I would know what that's like because I'm the favorite. Oh. <laughs> that must be nice. 
But, uh, I mean, yeah, there's that competitiveness. There's also uh, definitely in the, the guild itself a, a strong click clickiness. With uh, over 130 members, it's kind of become like high school a little bit. So, like, you know, the Northeast breweries, you know, they think they're God gift to beer. So they kind of, like, huddle together as the jocks. And then there's kind of the rest of us that fill around. <laughs> any any plans for, like, a St. Paul Brewers Guild? I mean, you've got yourselves, you've got Summit, you've got Urban Growler. Um, I mean, you're going to have uh, Bad Weather. It's just down the road. Uh, was it Stack Deck, I think, is moving in. You've got 12 Eyes now. Of course, you've got Flat Earth. Like, St. Paul is a beer town. It is, and it, and it always has been. It's the only city in the state with an operating brewery since its founding. So we definitely are. I mean, I've tried to get one going like a year or two ago, but it always just falls low on the totem pole of like things to do. Right, and you're busy actually running a business versus yeah. putting together a consortium of like-minded interest folks. Right, right. right. And so like right now I'm kind of, well, I was putting a lot of energy into it. Now i got to get back into it. But, you know, with Barrel Theory and then 12 Eyes down in our neighborhood already open, like I was trying to... Combined with them to create uh, the Lower Town Brewing District, it's kind of like the east side rival to the northeast Minneapolis neighborhood because mm-hmm. there's three breweries. We're all within like literally four or five blocks of each other, so it's a really great place to come down, pub crawl, check out some of these great restaurants like Rival House. And what you know, would be the, I guess, the action plan on that? Would it be pooling resources for like shared advertising, or what is the best way to create a quote unquote east side brewing district? The current tactic is, you know, we're partnering with Visit St. Paul, and we're trying to get, a, like, a, a sub-page on Visit St. Paul um, put up. And if you don't know what Visit St. Paul is, it's like the St. Paul Tourism Bureau. And they kind of, you know, market St. Paul within the state and outside the state and stuff. But um, So they're on board with helping, but just collectively between the three of us using, like, the ha- uh, certain hashtags that, you know, and that brand name out there a lot. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, I think in the spring, we were talking about doing, like, a... Uh, hosting a, like a little beer fest down in like Mears Park or something. There you go. Um, kind of deal. So that's all just super, super napkin planning right now. But I mean, it, <laughs> it's definitely something I think we all would like to do, and I think it would help really kick off the the neighborhood. Yeah, absolutely. I like I like that idea. As, as a St. Paulite, I like that idea a lot. <laughs> as a uh, beer fan, I like that idea a lot too. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I, I think I think there's a lot of opportunities, you know, for. Uh, some cooperation within the beer community to, to highlight all the amazing stuff that's going on. So what we try to do on this show yeah, absolutely. every single week, and it's uh, I mean there's there's incredible stuff happening in the beer community in Minneapolis, in St. Paul, in Minnesota as a whole. And I'd like you know any 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 avenue, any venue to help keep telling that story, I get excited about. Well, and speaking of beer fest in St. Paul, we should throw uh, throw it out there that we're still giving away a pair of tickets to the Rare Beer Fest. Uh, Go ahead and hit us up on Twitter and uh, Facebook, wherever you can hit the uh, hit the old hashtag and mar- uh, tag us and tag Rare Beer Fest. Yeah, uh, it's a two hundred dollar value. Uh, that's that's huge. We're at mn underscore beercast. Throw us a tag and uh, hashtag Rare Beer Fest. Yep. And everybody who does that will uh, do a little drawing here shortly. In yeah, next couple weeks, there's yep. uh, there's plenty of time before the festival. So go ahead and, and hit us up on social media, and uh, you'll be entered for a chance to win. Yeah, it's an amazing festival. You want to go to it. Trust me. 
So what's your, we talked about St. Paul a little bit. What's what's your favorite thing about having a brewery in St. Paul? Yeah, For, I'm thinking here. My I mean, favorite, one of my favorite things about you having a brewery in St. Paul is that you're right next door to two awesome restaurants. You've got uh, some Thai just down the road, and uh, you've got Black Sheep Pizza, like, right around the corner. Yeah. How valuable is it to have partners like that located just feet away? Oh, it's amazing. It's people, I mean, they come to the tap room and hang around a lot longer if they can, you know. And it, it's great if you have picky eaters. Like, oh, this part of the family wants pizza, and this one wants to have, you know, Thai. Well, yeah. it works great. Or maybe you want to get Keys Cafe, you know, brought in or whatever. So, yeah, it works great. Um, you know what I like about St. Paul and why, you know, I kind of picked there. One, I mean, the water's great. You know, that was a big, big part. But the culture in St. Paul is just more of, like, my style of culture. It's, you know, a little down to earth, laid back, you know, neighborhood, neighborhood and, you know, kind of that orientation. And mm-hmm. it isn't all glitz and glam. You know, it's like real people and wanting real experiences. So Very nice. Yeah, I, I have to agree as a guy that lives here. I, I love the the feel of St. Paul. It's a little more small town, uh, but I like that. I, I like that it's more laid back. It's more it's more neighborly, uh, you know, than than maybe Minneapolis, where you're, you're downtown and everybody's go go go, right? Yeah, you know. And well, the other cool thing about St. Paul is it's just so much history is here. Like St. Paul preserved a lot of that history, where Minneapolis just bulldozed it repeatedly yeah. to build those skyscrapers, and so you, it has a lot of character to it. And this kind of old world charm that's just kind of endearing. Yeah, I would agree with that 100%. So one of the questions I wanted to ask you, it's been a while since you've been on the show. Um, Sorry it's been so long between stretches. Uh, But I wanted to ask, for for those that haven't heard the story of Tin Whiskers, how did you guys get your start? Kind of like everyone else that started up. You know, in 2006, graduated from the University of Minnesota with two of my friends, and we all had electrical engineering degrees. Got out, worked downtown Minneapolis designing circuit boards, and uh, instantly started getting into home brewing with one of my friends there, um, and just fell in love with it. You know, 2006, I like to tell people, you, f- you forget, like, what's happened in the last 11 years. Like, it was pretty bleak back then. Like, you had, like, your Summit, your Flat Earth, your Surly, a couple, like, regionals. But if you wanted, like, diversity of styles and stuff, you had to make your own. So we did that for, like, four years in 2010 towards Sterling Flat Earth and just got really inspired to start our own. And uh, took four years from then in living in my basement in uh, Roseville before we finally got enough funding to get it off the ground. And we've been operating now for over three years now. So That's awesome. So are you guys um, only brewing out of the, the downtown St. Paul location, or, or are you expanding beyond that? I know... Fulton got large enough where they had to create essentially two different locations. Um, how are you structured, at least property-wise? We're all we're all right downtown. Um, for about over a year, we were looking at building a second production-only facility, kind of following the Fulton model. Um, that kind of came to a head in the spring, and the plans kind of just fell through. You know, with competing interests between investors, new investors, bank, you know, and all that jazz. Mm-hmm. And with the way the competitive market has become and how quickly the market keeps changing, I'm kind of very thankful. I'm not sitting on a $2 million loan for a brewery that isn't open yet. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've, I've oftentimes thought about that, you know, the breweries that are expanding as fast as they can. Um, you know, I think there's something to be said for having slow, measured, organic growth where you're not sitting on that $2 million loan. You're, you're taking care of the things you already have to pay and slowly growing beyond that and being able to compete in the ever-shrinking market, right? Exactly. And then, so that's kind of our, our tactic. And 
and um, and are happy with with that that how it's going. You know, it, it was a huge shift because you're driving to be this big brewery and and you have to kind of retool everything. But um, I mean, the boat sailed on on fast growth. You know, the market is definitely slowing down, mm-hmm. um, and so I'd rather bide my time and and strengthen my own house and one day pick up someone else's brewery and pennies on the dollar instead of paying you know there you go full price so like like avery did this week maybe we'll talk about that when we come up on some news uh we'll tackle that after the break you're listening to the minnesota beer cast twin cities news talk am 11:30 and 103.5 fm Welcome back to the Minnesota Beer Cast, recording this week at Rival House in St. Paul for a uh, Blake's Hard Cider tasting event. I, uh, during the break, took advantage of that tasting. <laughs> it's quite tasty. That's good. It's good. A tasting should be tasty. I like it a lot. I'm a big fan. We will, uh, we will talk to Dan here shortly about his assorted ciders he's got from Blake's. Let's, uh, let's talk a little news first. Uh, you want to drink uh, Martian beer? What? Martian beer. So, I've never had marshmallows in beer well, before. No, everybody's getting into the craft beer craze, right? You know, every state is talking about, well, you know, the special craft beer. People like to drink local. It's true. So Budweiser, to counter that, is uh, is going to brew beer in space. We're going to get our first space beer. They recently announced plans to send barley seeds, of course, one of the key ingredients in beer, to space. To determine if it's possible to make and drink beer on Mars. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. It doesn't say, I mean, I, I, I get marketing gimmick shtick, I think. I mean, yeah, uh, dude, for real. But they, uh, apparently, they. It, this is so serious that they even did like a Rasmussen Reports poll to determine the level of interest across America in Martian beer. And bad news for Budweiser. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Only 11% of American adults say they are more likely to buy a beer that is brewed on Mars. I got to imagine that uh, the tax on that's got to be exorbitant. (laughs) Because you've got to pay local tax, state tax, federal tax. And now if you have to pay interstellar tax. Right. I heard the uh, the interstellar the, the Martian tariffs. I, I, I've heard they're they're talking about raising them significantly to yeah. balance out the trade, you know, between us well, and Mars. The Martians recently increased the minimum wage, so they're going to make it up on the back end <laughs> by increasing the tariffs on interstellar beer. Thirty-three percent say they're less likely to buy a space beer. Forty-five percent say the beer's origin would have no impact on their beer buying decision. If it, if, if somebody called me and asked me that. I've never even considered the likelihood of whether or not I would buy a beer from Mars. I, you know, do people still call and do polls? Like, I've, I've never received a phone call. Ever. I have. Yeah? Yeah. It's been a long time. But not since I moved here, but yes, I have. I, I, who has time to answer poll questions about space beer? <laughs> Well, not Why to mention you? from Mars, it's going to be like eight months old by the time it gets right? here. That won't be fresh. Yeah. It but won't I mean, be fresh. If you're going to go live on Mars, you're not going to go if there's no beer. Well, see, that's just it. They need to send home brewers to Mars and then figure out how to do it themselves. 
I will not move to Mars until there are Martian tap rooms. <laughs> I would, I'd settle for Martian whiskey. <laughs> It'd be all right by me. What a weird plan. It's not a plan. It's a it's a marketing ploy. Well, yeah, but I mean, it's isn't it? First of all, Budweiser, it, they're not hurting, not yet. I mean, you know, craft beer is certainly taken a, a a bite, but they're still the most widely consumed beer in in, in the country, right? It's farcical, right? I mean, it's just like when the Brewers Association had their social media GoFundMe plan to to buy Budweiser or whatever it was. It's not It's not ever going to happen. It's a way to grab clickbait and get people talking about what it is you're doing. And it's kind of ridiculous. Well, we've got another acquisition here. Uh, so uh, you, you're familiar with uh, Spain's Mahu San, Mag- San Miguel? I am not. Well, they... Uh, they were they partially acquired founders right they made they made an investment into founders right 30% or something like that yep yeah 30 uh, and uh, now it's been announced that they've acquired a 30% stake in Boulder Colorado's Avery Brewing Company uh, Avery's been around since 1993 uh, they've got the previously announced 30% stake in founders now they're adding Avery to their portfolio so we've got another uh, sort of Big beer conglomerate growing on our hands, going out and snatching up pieces of, uh, of craft brewers. Well, it's not, you, they're not snatching up pieces of brewers. Brewers are giving up parts of their company, right? Yeah, they're, sell, they're, they're, they're selling parts of their company, they're buying them, and you can call that snatching it up. That's if how it works want. in America. <laughs> you got I'm something? Not, I'm not opposed to it. <laughs> well, I think. I didn't mean that in a derogatory I don't way. care. But I, th- I think that, you know, the more and more this happens, the less and less people care. You know, and especially when it's quality, large brands like right. Founders and Avery. Avery's a fantastic brewery. Yeah, absolutely they are. Um, you know, we've got Jeff here from Tin Whiskers who happens to own a brewery. What are your thoughts on these sorts of transactions, Jeff? You know, it's a, it's a tough question. You look at it both ways. You know, one, they, they've gotten bigger money to, you know, essentially outcompete us or compete with Budweiser. And the other hand, as a fellow business owner, I mean, if that's part of their exit strategy to sell off 30% of their company either as a means to slowly exit their business or as a means to grow their business, I mean, kudos to them. Right. I couldn't be more jealous of that. Um, and with these other acquisitions, I don't, they don't have the evil repertoire as, you know, AB InBev, you know, kind of does, you know. San, some Spanish brewery, I mean, who, San Miguel. who's even heard of them? I mean, what do they even make? I don't know. I don't. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're big overseas, right? So <laughs> it's probably more of an export game for them anyway, then. They're looking to export that to Spain or to yeah. Europe. So it's either you know. that or they're trying to get a footprint in the United States, one or the other. Or both, both, both. You know, you know. You know. Yeah. However, because they uh, have given up more than twenty-five percent to a non-craft entity, they lose their st- designation by the Brewers Association as a uh, as a craft brewery. They lose that craft status. No, no upside-down bottle logo for them, right? <laughs> I noticed, Jeff. You guys don't have the the Brewers Association logo on uh, on your cans. Was that a conscious thing, or just something you guys haven't caught up to yet, or isn't in the plans? How does that affect you guys as a small brewer in St. Paul? 
And we post it on our door, and we, we post it on our website. We haven't put it into the can labels yet. As, I mean, we've talked about it and whatnot, but on the same level, we're so small, I don't even think it necessarily needs to be said that we're independent. Um, I do I do value independence and, you know, knowing who owns what, and you can't dilute what the craft movement was is being diluted by these conglomerates, and that kills almost the identity of its authenticity of what craft beer started as. And so, you know, some people may mock what they're doing, but in the same token, there's value in it as to us actual small independent breweries that are actually out there, you know, trying to make a go of it. And yeah. saying like, yeah, you know what, as a consequence of you selling to, you know, whatever, get your return or whatever, you know, yeah, you lose your status. Well, you, you know, know boo-hoo, boo-hoo, you just got millions and millions of dollars, you know, right. what do you what do you care? Oh, you no, know? you lost a sticker. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> yeah, well, you got kicked out of the Brewer Association. Well, you know, that was your choice. By 5%, right? So there's right. A, it's very... I wonder how they came across that that line to draw, where the twenty five percent demarcation. Yeah. Yeah, it, it seems rather arbitrary, doesn't it? I mean, what, what's I mean, the isn't, difference? Isn't six million barrels slightly arbitrary? <laughs> except for they want to keep Sam Adams in there, yeah. right? You, gotta, you know, got to keep paying those bills. I, I, you, you know, know so I, you know, committee based or who knows how they come out with it, but yeah, but I mean, the, the reality of the situation is whether Avery is owned independently or has investment in 25% or 30%, they're still going to be making beer in Colorado yeah. and employing... It's still, a, it's still a Boulder, Colorado local brewery that's making fantastic beer. They still own 70% of their own business. Right. I mean, I, if that's not a craft beer, I don't know what is. So where do we draw the line then? Is it 51% is, is more representative? What do you guys think? I think if, you, if you're going to say that... You know, you have to, yeah, if you're going to say that you have to be uh, majority owned by a non-craft or by a craft entity, then yeah, it seems like that 51% would be, would make the most sense if you're going to draw a line somewhere. Ah, I would say like the usual 60-40. I mean, at, at 49% ownership by EB InBev, they're exercising an incredible amount of weight within that company's plan and structure and whatever. Whereas, you know, more of like a 40% ownership or 30, I mean, that's what they came up with is, yeah, you're, you're a big shareholder, but you're not, the, the other owners can say, you know, piss off. Right. You don't like it. Well, you bought it, but this is the way it works kind of deal. So there's maybe a little of that that maybe fell into it. But Were the terms of the deal just closed through? Did it say how much they acquired that percentage for? Not according to the article I was looking at, no. I would be interested to find out what that number is. I got to imagine it's double-digit millions. Sure. Oh, yeah. I would, I would, I would hope so. I mean, I, yeah. They sold, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. It still, though, remains to be seen how much that's going to matter. Well, you know it matters. There's a core base of craft beer consumers that you know it matters to. But how much it matters to that broader craft beer audience, it's still it's way too early to know what kind of impact that's going to have. Right. Well, and, and back to why they came out with 25%, just thought about it. It might be that that's what AB InBev has invested in some of the, like, 10 Barrel and those other places. Or maybe they did 30 into those, and so then they... Pick 25 to cut Water make AB sure MBEV, cut out, right? Yeah, cut out AB MBEV brand's threat, you know? Yeah. I mean, that could spell disaster for the the Brewers Association if AB MBEV works their way into the leadership structure of the Brewers Association, right? 
I mean, by the fact that their their membership is controlled by AB InBev. I mean, it would be devastating. I mean, just look at what they've done to Northern Brewer. As soon as they bought Northern Brewer, I'm like, oh, just wait. There'll be Goose Island kits and 10-barrel kits. And I walked in there the other day to buy, like, a, a nitro faucet for an account. And sure enough, <laughs> what did I see everywhere on the walls? So I mean, key, it's... Key question before we go to break. Did you still buy the faucet or did you walk out? I still bought it <laughs> I didn't want to drive all the way up to, like... Um, uh, brew and grow or whatever they, so they gotcha right on well we are up on another break uh, we'll be back after this you're listening to the minnesota beer cast on am 1130 and 103.5 fm twin cities news talk Welcome back to the Minnesota BeerCast final segment from the Rival House in St. Paul. We are joined by friend of the show, longtime friend of the show, Dan Parker. Oh, man, glad to be back. Glad to be, have you on, man. It's been far too long. So you are here, and, uh, and we kind of, uh, what do we do? We piggybacked. On your on your event here, yeah, yeah, no, I I work really hard ourselves. to set these promotional events just so you guys can have a place to do a radio show. <laughs> uh, you're here for a, a tasting event, a free tasting of Blake's Hard Cider. Yeah, that's correct. So um, actually, I just signed on with Blake's about four weeks ago um, as their regional sales manager here in Minnesota and the Dakotas. So it's up to me to get the good word of good cider out there and use events like this to to you know reach out to my my retail customers, but also the people that at the end of the day are going to be consuming the product yeah so tell me about Blake's hard cider I'm not I'm not familiar with the brand yeah I'm hearing that a lot um, Blake's has been around for about four years but it's only been in the Twin Cities market since about July so okay. um, outskirts of Minnesota since about January February um, but yeah Blake's started four years ago like I said but the family's been uh, in business since the 1940s so where are they based out of Armada Michigan right outside of Detroit okay and so in 1946 couple sat down and decided that they wanted to start an, uh, a farm and then they went ahead and had 13 kids for free labor and uh, <laughs> that's how it works my dad grew up on a farm and if you want to get farm work done you have kids that's right well yeah <laughs> some might call that farm work but anyway <laughs> um so now we're in uh, third generation and uh one of the the grandchildren decided you know hey we've got all these apples and, and we can do something cool with it and they started blake's so explain the for the uninitiated. You know, we focus mainly on beer, spirits every once in a while. We'll dabble a little bit in wine, but for sure. the uninitiated, give us a basic rundown of cider, Dan. Yeah, I mean, cider is America's original alcoholic beverage. Uh, before we were growing enough grain to brew beer here, we were growing apples and we were making ciders. Uh, there was a, a time not that long ago when it was the preferred beverage and we drank far more cider than we did of wine or beer. Uh, things have dramatically changed. Uh, the old story of, uh, that, that beers had to deal with is the same that, that cider has with Prohibition. Uh, during Prohibition, there were a lot of people that went around basically cutting down all the cider apple trees, and so now we're just starting to regrow that. Um, fast forward to today, still a small base, small percentage, but we are growing faster than pretty much any category in liquor right now. We are outpacing, craft cider is outpacing the, the growth of craft beer. Um, when I say craft cider, that's kind of taking out the bigger Samuel Adams-backed ciders that are out there. Very nice. So it, it's exciting to me to see the, the craft cideries popping up and to see, because it is, I mean, 
I, I like drinking local. Obviously, it's a it's a big thing to me, and, and I like drinking these uh, these uh, not organic, but you know, it's just it, it, the flavors are just so unique. Absolutely, I, I'm, I'm new to drinking cider, and the ciders that. I've always been familiar with are the ones like you described. That yeah. They kind of taste like soda. Well, there's some really fun stuff, you know, when you talk about flavors. I'm drinking the El Chavo right now. Oh, uh, it's fantastic. That's jam. This is awesome. So good. Yeah, that's my jam, man. Like, I, I actually helped bring this company to, to, to market with my old role in distributorship uh, a year or so ago. And we were drinking through all of them. And I'm like, I like this. I like this. I got to the El Chavo. And... I'm not gonna tell you what I said because we're on the air, um, but it, it was it was uh, kind of like my the my eye opener. Um, I want this with barbecue. Yeah. Or, or tequila. Or te- well, I'm not a tequila guy. But you've, you've, I know you've named better. It the cider, but you haven't described it. It's a it's a uh, it's so, a cider infused with uh, habanero and, and mango. mango. Yeah. Oh. So one, what's really unique so to our good. our ciders um, is a we grow all of our own apples. Uh, we've got almost a thousand acres of apple farm uh, with some other miscellaneous row crops and stuff in there. And so I don't think there's any other cidery that I'm aware of that can say they grow all of their own apples. But on top of that, we don't add any water, any sugar, and or any artificial flavorings or preserves. So when we say mango habanero, we're using fresh, real mangoes and habaneros in there. Yeah, and you can and you can tell there's yeah. there's that that sweet and that heat. That makes me think of the barbecue, where it's like, man, I love I love when you get that tang on on the front end, but you get the sugar to kind of back it up and balance out those flavors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that from people all the time. Like apparently, at all the, a lot of chain restaurants, even the mango habanero thing is finding its way into their food. So it's kind of a, a approachable flavor these days. Other people, on the other hand, see the word habanero and they get scared off by it. Well, especially but then, here in Minnesota. Right, but then you'll have them try it, and it, it kind of d- changes their perception of things yeah. because it's not. It's, this is not supposed to be a novelty. This is a real drinking cider that happens to have a little bit of a heat kick at the end. Yeah, let's be, habanero is an intimidating pepper. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not a guy that's turned off by spice, and even I'm intimidated by the habanero. You know, so when you when you see that, I, I get being intimidated, but it just adds a nice. I, I, it just almost peppery. Yeah. You know, it's not like it's not burning. It's, it's not a little heat, heat just kind of gets almost, you in the back of the throat. Doesn't yeah. assault your palate. Like, I can't taste heat on my tongue right now. I just kind of feel the warming sensation on, like, the back of my throat and my cheeks. And um, and I think that that's a beneficial thing, at least for me trying to sell the stuff. Um, yeah, for sure. Because it makes me want to keep going back for it, you know, like, yeah, me too. one after the other. Yeah. It's kind of like drinking a really bitter IPA. You want to keep going back for another taste of that. Run us through uh, what else uh, Blake's has to offer. Yeah, so right now um, in the market, we've got four year rounds, um, and we're going to be bringing in our fifth and some seasonals. So, along with us, we've also got our flagship flannel mouth. Uh, nothing in that can but 100% uh, state grown apple cider. That's kind of our, our everyday semi-sweet. Is so that that's your quote-unquote flagship? Yeah, technically, although in the Twin Cities market, El Chavo outsells that two to one. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So Turns out I've got good taste. <laughs> in, our, in our overall market, though, it's basically 1A, 1B, depending on, like, the, the month. One could be higher than the other. Um, outside of that, we've got our Wake Fire, which is a slightly drier cider, and it's made with Michigan cherries and orange peel. Um, definitely not a big candy cherry flavor. It's a really natural, real cherry flavor because we're using all real fruits. I'm going to grab a can of that and pour a, pour a sample here. Perfect. And then I'm not sure if I poured you some already of the Grizzly Pear, but 
Grizzly Pear is also a year-round. It's in a slightly different package uh, to kind of differentiate it. Uh, starts with that same apple base, and then we add prickly pear, pear, and elderflower. So it gives it a big, kind of well-rounded, juicy, ripe pear flavor. So one of the things I've always wondered, and maybe you can answer this for me now, being the new cider insider that you are. Insider. The, like insider. You like what I did there? Cider insider. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how, I mean, we're going into November. Yes, sir. And uh, soon we we're start. going out of November, actually. <laughs> Dang, is it that late already? Yeah. It's almost Christmas. November time. ends in uh, mere hours. Yes. Oh, geez. <laughs> so going into December, followed by January in the Midwest, cold as can be. Mm-hmm. Yet you guys have cider on the shelves year-round. How how do you guys do that when apples only ripen once a year? Well, actually, that's that's uh, that's not true. Uh, to be honest with you, the vast majority of apples that you see on your supermarket shelves are likely a year or more older. Really? Um, if you store apples in a low-temperature, zero-oxygen atmosphere, they can hold for a very long time. Uh, quite often, especially even in cider making, um, you actually have to let them sit out to, at room temperature to re-ripen them um, so they don't come directly right up off the tree sometimes. You have to uh, basically sweat them out to get the sugars into the uh, available for the cider. They're like the linen of the fruit world. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no. <laughs> Nobody got that reference. Remember they used to have Lennon, like, displayed in the glass case for, or was it Stalin? I don't know. Yeah. I'm not great at history. Nothing like Lennon. <laughs> so, and then, you know, it also gives us the opportunity to, to do things like seasonal. So soon in the Twin Cities, you'll start seeing Archimedes. That's our, our current seasonal. It's made with elderberry and vanilla. Uh, very cool can with, like, the old, like, owl on there and... That's kind of neat. So where can people, if they want to find some Blake's Hard Cider, what would you recommend? Yeah, we've got uh, Blake's going into many, many liquor stores across the Twin Cities, hopefully all of them if I'm doing my job right. Um, but we <laughs> actually have a cider finder on our website, um, blakefars.com, so you'll be able to find um, all of our all of the places that currently are carrying it. Basically, it goes off of, like, if they've ordered it, they're on there. So. Okay. Give us that website one more time. Yeah, so that's uh, blakefarms.com. Blakefarms.com. All right. <laughs> I will get on there tonight because I want to. I, I, my wife is going to go the, nuts the for El this, Chavo. Uh, El Chavo. Yeah, dude. I mean, yeah. It's, yeah. That's that's going to be your flagship. Well, I'm telling you. I mean, that one is huge in the Twin Cities market. Watch it in the spring for one called The Tonic. That's that one? That is cucumber ginger, um, but Ooh. that doesn't do it justice. It is literally one of the best liquids I've ever had in my entire life. Yeah, I. Uh, not to. We're talking Blake's, but uh, Sociable did a uh, did a cucumber ginger-ish type uh, type cider last sure. time. Last time I was there, it was spot on, man. It was so freaking good. That's awesome. Yeah, I was yeah. at a um, I was at a bar in Detroit, and I'm like, oh, they got tonic here. Let me get one of those. And there's like ten other people ordering drinks, and by the time they're done ordering drinks, I'm like, I need another one because this one's gone. <laughs> I ended up drinking them out of their supply in one night. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for uh, inviting us out here. Thanks for letting us uh, piggyback onto your event. Oh, uh, man. Blake's always good to see you guys. Cider, check it out. Find it in your uh, local liquor store. If they don't have it, ask them for it. That's right. And uh, we will be back and with another episode next week. Yeah. Cheers. See ya. Cheers. The fact that I like to drink beer. This little song is more to the point. Roll out the barrel and lend me your ear. I like beer. It makes me a jolly.